the challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s, a program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of faith. Nearly 60 years later, during these challenging times, we'll take a new look at our divisions, our connections, in a new program called Challenge 2.0. Hondurans, Guatemalans, and Syrians. Those are among the identities we recognize as refugee groups. The plight of the Rohingya is just as serious, but less known, at least in much of the United States. The United Nations has described them as among the most persecuted minorities in the world. In this episode of Challenge 2.0, the story of some of the 600,000-plus Rohingya who have fled Myanmar, Burma, in Southeast Asia in less than two years. And we'd like to welcome Race Buyan. Race, this is your second time on the program. I thank you for coming back. Well, thank you. And I think to really get a sense of context for this, you founded a group called World Without Hate, and that uh, directly has led to your activism on behalf of the Rohingya. Walk us back in just a very brief introduction to what led you to found World Without Hate. Well, uh, thank you, Jeff, for inviting me once again to your program. It's a great honor. Uh, Ten days after 9-11 terrorist attacks, I was shot from point-blank range by a white supremacist with a double-barrel shotgun, and he killed two others as a retaliation of 9-11 terrorist attack. Uh, I not only forgave him, um, I also ran an international campaign to save his, to try to save his life from Texas death row uh, 10 years after I was shot. And um, he was completely changed, uh, though he was executed, but I did not stop there. I founded the nonprofit called World Without Hate with the hope to eradicate hate and violence from this world and to inspire people to work together to, to, uh, to establish a world based upon mutual respect, dignity, understanding, and acceptance. And how did that lead you to first be aware of and then to actually film uh, the problems facing the Rohingya people? Well, um, I was aware of this Rohingya issue uh, when I was a when I was in high school back in the 90s in my birth country, Bangladesh, though I, I highly empathized, I didn't have the means to do anything for these helpless people back in the 90s. Um, but after becoming a U.S. citizen and uh, successfully ran an international campaign in 2011 to save the life of my attacker, that gave me a you know, a sense of power, a sense of voice that now I'm an American citizen. And, uh, you know, I have access to my government. I have access to our, my public officials. And my fellow U.S. citizens are very generous. And if I would like to, if I ask their help, I'll be able to put, I'll be able to get a lot of support from my fellow, from my uh, fellow citizens. And one of the things that you did was to get video, and we're going to talk more about your trip, but what I'd like to do right now is go to some of that video uh, to see what you experienced over there. So we're going to look at some of that right now. In December, I visited the largest and the most dense refugee camp in the world. 
in Cox's Bazaar, Bangladesh, hundreds of thousands of oppressed Rohingya men, women, and children, the lucky ones who narrowly escaped Myanmar with their lives, are now suffering in this camp. Visiting this camp was a life-altering experience. Thousands of sickly, terrified, traumatized, and destitute Rohingya people living in an absurdly small area in Southeast Bangladesh. I bore witness to their plight. As a relief worker, I sat down with refugee families in their tiny tarp shacks and listened to their heartbreaking and courageous stories. Those images are extremely disturbing. Uh, we've seen people literally fleeing their villages up in flames, soldiers in the streets, having to walk a very long way. As you were experiencing that, very often when you take images through a camera, you get a little psychological separation, but you were there, you were living there. How did that strike you uh, in terms of your heart, your emotions as a person? Well, I was heartbroken when I um, looked at the the, those little kids, two years, three years old, you know, and I, uh, when I heard their stories, that what they went through to cross the border, to come to the, you know, come to Bangladesh, they walked day and nights, hundreds of miles through hills, paddy fields, streams, mud, and the trauma they went through, and and the fear of getting shot at any moment, is is um, is unimaginable. And uh, now I'm sitting with them and, and talking to them. It, it was heartbreaking, it was painful, and I could not fathom that what, what they experienced and how it feels like to go through that kind of you know, inhuman suffering. Mm -hmm. I came because a changed person. I could not believe what I heard from those little kids, from the adults, especially the older people that like 80 plus years old, how they walked hundreds of miles, it, it was unbelievable. And you've arranged for us to talk with one of the representatives of the Rohingya people who's now in Baltimore, Maryland. So uh, we're going to call up uh, via computer, uh, Dr. Muhammad Habib Ullah, who is a member, and please correct me if I get this incorrect, uh, the Arakan Rohingya National Organization, is that correct? And uh, you serve as a representative for the United States, uh, and you're joining us from Baltimore, Maryland. We thank you very much for joining us on Challenge 2.0. Thank you for having me. You, you have seen, uh, obviously firsthand, but you have also seen uh, Race's documentary. What goes through your mind and emotions as you see these images all over again? First of all, uh, the Rohingya issues is not the issues that happened recently. 
it started from 1978 when um, first exodus was was happened in 1978 and followed by 1992 1998 and recently 2012 and 17. so and my me my family was one of those back in 1978 then i i, I didn't want but in first First hand, I have um, experienced 1992, 1998, 2012. This is horrible. Uh, Race, do me a favor, and all of us, our geography in this area may not be that strong. We're going to put up a map and describe for me where the uh, Rohingya people lived and where is it that they've had to flee to. Right. Um, Rohingya are the indigenous people of Myanmar, which is also known as Burma. And um, they live in the northwestern part of the country, which is now known as Rakhine State. Mm -hmm. And uh, Myanmar is northwest of Thailand and uh, southeast of India after Bangladesh. Uh, and uh, his historically, uh, for centuries, uh, the Rakhine, uh, the, the Rohingya minority and the majority Buddhist coexist, mm -hmm. govern themselves. And until 1982, um, they had full access to citizenship. They had full, they have all the rights as a, a, mm -hmm. as a citizen of Myanmar until the military dictator uh, stripped away all these rights and um, slowly launched this uh, silent genocide. In, in Rakhine, if from the history, if you see, these are uh, the Rohingyas are the, the core ethnic minority in Burma. It's not that what today they are claiming is not that coming from somewhere. And when uh, the, the Myanmar was uh, uh, received independent from uh, British, then they were recognized as one of the ethnic minority, well recognized ethnic minority. Then, as I said, all of a sudden in 1980, they, they denied citizenship. We're going to come back to that. But I want to go back to your images, and I think one of the things as you and I talked before, and as we see this video, is that's the impact on the children. So let's go back to another clip of uh, Race's documentary. I saw thousands of children under the age of 10, many playing in dirt with makeshift toys made of trash. No food, no medicine, no home, no school, no future. The mercy of others is their only chance at survival. Imagine, if they were your own children or loved ones, how would you feel? These children have done nothing to deserve this life. The reason for their fate is the accident of their birth. They happen to be born into a Rohingya family in Burma. They survived genocide only to walk hundreds of miles, day and night, through hills, paddy fields, and streams, the threat of violence looming with each fragile step toward another uncertainty of existence. Are we in danger of losing an entire generation uh, of enjoying a functional life of the Rohingya people? Well, indeed, uh, we, we, uh, we lose a generation in many ways, not just by physically, but by also intellectually. Mm -hmm. Since 1982, these Rohingya people did not have access to education, healthcare, uh, free travel, voting, um, and also you know, marrying whoever they want. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine for the last 39 years, 
these people were deprived from having education, healthcare. I mean, what is left? There is nothing left for them. These people are illiterate. You know, these people are, you know, deprived from uh, contributing to this world mm -hmm. in many ways, economically, you know, um, many, many ways. So, and then they face this genocide. I mean, I have talked to many people who lost the entire family, and he or she was the last person, last living person of that family. In a report, it was found that 48,000 missing parents, 52%, according to the UN report, 52% of the Rohingya women were raped by the Myanmar military. What strains has this put on Bangladesh and the people of Bangladesh in accommodating that many refugees? Well, uh, Bangladesh is a is an overpopulated and a developing country, and uh, but but people are very warm and welcoming. They they welcome the Rohingya refugees, and I know personally people who who ran to the camp with whatever they could carry with them, food, clothing, medicine. So the people of Bangladesh actually welcomed them highly and did the best they could. To, uh, to provide shelter, food, and at least, you know, uh, give them security. And when I talked to the refugee, you know, uh, people, they, they told me that, that they're very much grateful for the, for the incredible generosity of the Bangladeshi people, especially its military. And um, I have also seen in my own eyes that in the, what the military did for the Rohingya refugees, they not only uh, not only provide shelter and security, but they also maintain discipline and, uh, you know, um, nicely, you know, daily basis, weekly basis, giving them ration, food. And it was something good to see that how, you know, the military and the people also help them and also distribute the relief goods in a very disciplined way. There is no chaos, no, you know, uh, challenge and when I asked them, they said that, yes, we get every week this many, you know, uh, pounds of rice, lentil, mm -hmm. and we are thankful for the military for their presence, not only maintaining security, but also helping us to lead a disciplined life in this camp. 1.1 million people living in few square miles, and these people went through severe trauma. These people have seen horror in front of their own eyes. Mm -hmm. And without a permanent solution, you just cannot keep a huge amount of people sitting and doing nothing for years after years after years. That is unhealthy for them. It is also dangerous for the country because it's a poor country and there's a lot of people in that country as well. And it is also affecting the local people's economy as well, the job and you know, uh, safety and security in the long term. Mm -hmm. So even though right now, Bangladesh government and the people are doing their best, welcoming and helping and supporting, but there has to be a, a quick solution. Otherwise, it may get out of control in, 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 a, uh, in a short amount of time. I think one of the great ironies of this whole story is we uh, talk about the military dictatorship that took uh, power in Myanmar, Burma, uh, that led to the most recent episodes of this. But in fact, the political power in Myanmar has changed. and the people that were the oppressed in Burma, in a larger sense, have now become the oppressors. And you had a very powerful segment of your documentary there, and we're going to go to that for just a couple of moments right now. Perhaps the irony, as cruel and shocking as it is, 
is that Myanmar's leader is a Nobel Peace Laureate. Aung San Suu Kyi is calling for anything but peace and life. Instead, it seems she is cynically perpetuating the destruction and devastation being faced by the Rohingya. A UN resolution called on the Myanmar government to allow refugee access for aid workers, ensuring the safe return of all refugees, while granting full Myanmar citizenship to the Rohingyas. This humane and peaceful resolution was vehemently rejected by China, Russia, Cambodia, Laos, the Philippines and Vietnam, as well as Myanmar itself. How did the Burmese leader happen to win a Nobel Prize in the first place that's currently in power? Well, um, Aung San Suu Kyi was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1991 for her uh, non-violent struggle against the military dictator for uh, democracy and human rights, uh, free the Myanmar people from this military regime. and. Um, in a statement, she said that uh, she aimed to create a world free from displaced, homeless, and hopeless. And that was her you know, aim, you know, to um, not only to free the Myanmar people, but also build a world. Mm -hmm. But it is an, it's an irony and also a true insult that once she got into power, she completely changed. You know, uh, if I can share one of her quote, uh, when she was, um, she was asked that, um, that her silence on the Rohingya crisis, she said, I don't think there is ethnic cleansing going on. And then she added that it's a matter of people on different sides of the divide. And this divide we are trying to close up. But in fact, she has been uh, closing this divide by systematically you know, um, exterminating the Rohingya by treating them as a lesser person. We heard the stories that the people themselves related to you. Uh, what is the group that is behind her and perhaps even causing her to continue this policy that was started with a military dictatorship and is now going on under uh, her supervision? What is the core group within Burma or Myanmar that's empowering her to continue this? Well, the majority Buddhists, uh, not all, but many of them, they don't like the Rohingya. And um, even though they coexisted for centuries, mm -hmm. but for this political turmoil, it, you know, uh, they, they, they gain this kind of intolerance against the Rohingya minority. And it is illegal, you know, to use this term Rohingya in Myanmar. Mm -hmm. They are treated as illegal Bengalis. So they don't want to use the term Rohingya in Myanmar, and the majority of Buddhists, with the military support, are flocking, you know, behind Aung San Suu Kyi and uh, uh, raising this national movement against the Rohingya that they are not they are not part of our country. They are illegal immigrants, so they should be kicked out of our country where they came from. But the fact is, uh, the entire Indian subcontinent is to be ruled by the British. Mm -hmm. And the British Empire, they moved people from Indian subcontinent to all over the world, starting from Kenya, South Africa, Myanmar, everywhere. So, you know, a lot of Rohingya also came from, in, you know, uh, like India, Bangladesh as well, mm -hmm. when it was under British colony. So you cannot tell them that, oh, you came from 
India, now you have to go back. Well, they're here for generation wise, and they did not come here at their own. They were brought here as a worker. Mm-hmm. Like it would be wrong to tell the, the, the Indian origin, you know, people living in South Africa to go back to their country that you came from India, so you are no longer part of our country. So it is morally, ethically, in every way, it is wrong. So the majority Buddhist and the Myanmar army, they are just you know, utilizing this word that they are illegal Bengalis because they look like the Bengalis, the people from Bangladesh, mm-hmm. and they all they speak a different dialect. So it all come together that they are the foreigners. They're not part of our country. So now the question is, what do the Rohingya want done? And in another clip from your documentary, which we're going to show right now, they elaborate on exactly that question. They have seen a lot of, uh, you know, photos here and there. The, the, the Buddhist monks walking on the street with a sign says no Rohingya on their palm. And also placard says no Rohingya. That is heartbreaking. That's not, that is something we don't expect from the Buddhist you know, people. They're so peaceful. It breaks my heart. I hope and expect that the, the Buddhist majority in Myanmar will have a change in their heart and they will see the Rohingya minority as a human being like them. And they will ask their de facto leader, Aung San Suu Kyi and the military as well, that let's just stop this violence. We all can get along and we all can live you know, peacefully as we did in the past. And perhaps get some pressure from Buddhists living in other countries whose practice is very different from a- that. Absolutely. Let me uh, next go ahead and toss, if we can, to that section of your video, which is what is needed to be done? Uh, What do the Rohingya want? So we're going to look at that right now. Despite the miserable conditions of the Rohingya's daily life, I saw the unforgettable smiles on their faces while receiving the variety of relief goods from us. (laughs) The refugees asked me to share their stories and plead to the international community to help end their plight. I vowed to not only amplify their voices but reach out to the United Nations world leaders, religious and secular institutions, and individuals of conscience to hold them morally accountable to work together to eradicate this senseless human suffering by implementing a five-point solution. All restrictions on humanitarian aid to the Rohingya should be lifted and access for journalists and human rights monitors should be permitted. An independent investigation should bring all responsible parties to justice for crimes against humanity. A safety zone for the Rohingya people should be declared and UN peacekeeping forces deployed to protect them. Rohingya refugees should be helped in their migration back from neighboring countries with necessary support to rebuild their homes and lives. The Rohingya should be recognized as a protected ethnic minority group with guarantees of their basic human rights, including citizenship and voting rights. So Dr. Ula and Race, what I would ask, we've just seen this list of requests, demands from the Rohingya from uh, Burma, Myanmar. Uh, How do both of you 
plan to spend your time, your attention, your passion, your expertise to get uh, to realizing those? Dr. Ula, I might begin with you first. If you see like Yugoslavia and Rwanda, USA uh, was initiated, I mean, initiated the special tribunal and take the leadership to bring those uh, responsible uh, to bring into the justice. It can be a, a main tool to bring uh, those perpetrators, bring to the justice and make the Myanmar government in general uh, held accountable for these atrocities. And race, I might ask you, we've seen these uh, absolutely incredible and very troubling images that you've shot, that you experienced over there. What's your next step? Well, uh, my next step is to bring as much awareness as possible and also put pressure on the international community to put pressure on Myanmar to, you know, to, uh, to prepare the ground, as Dr. Ullah said, that without, without preparing the ground, you, know, you cannot expect the, that the refugees will go back to their, their land. Mm -hmm. Because if I, was, if I were one of them, I would never go back to that land without assurance that my rights are protected and I will not be killed and I will be able to uh, practice my full human rights as a citizen. So um, what, I, what I expect to do that um, uh, as, a, as, a, uh, as a citizen of the most powerful nation and the most generous nation on earth to, uh, to gather as much support as possible from my fellow citizens, I would like to ask uh, the audience, pick up the phone, call your local congressman, call the White House, express your concern, and last but not least, ask our government to put sanctions against the Myanmar government. If nothing works, put more sanctions. That might work. So, Dr. Uh, Ula, thank you for joining us. Race, thank you so much. That was an incredibly moving documentary, very powerful, from someone who's worked in that field for decades. That was your first documentary. That's incredible. And I'll look forward to seeing more of those. And please keep us informed in terms of what the situation is, and what, again, people within the United States can do to assist the Rohingya. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, and we hope you'll join us for the next edition of Challenge 2.0 next week. If you've enjoyed this program, please give us five stars and leave a review. If you can also tell one friend about the show, that would be great. You can find us on social media at Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find out more and financially support the show at pathstounderstanding.org. The program is hosted by executive producer Jeff Renner, produced by Tom Butterworth and John Sharifi. Cameras and audio by Rich McAdams, Tom Butterworth, and Dean Cuccio. Ian Olson is the production assistant.